Yeehaw, we're headed back overseas to bring on someone we had planned to have on since day one of starting this podcast. We're headed to the UK on the podcast. My name is Tom, or just call me Mr. T. I don't know why in the last episode I called MOS Mini Golf Open System, but I guarantee you I will always call it Mini Golf Open Standard after making that mistake. Know that for the future. You can find all the Mini Golf designs, reviews, and more for myself and the Pink Putter at a couple and on social media at Couple Putts. And if you're looking for course and whole design, go to minigolfdesigners.com. And if you need a couple of goods, go to minigolfgoods.com as well as amaminigolf.com. And there'll be lots of mini golf goods that you can be wearing as we start to get into the outdoor competitive season in the next few months. I'm Pat, the co-founder of the mini golf website and social media conglomerate, The Putting Penguin. I'm super excited to talk with our guest today, who I have known for a very long time as a fellow mini golf course visitor. I got a chance to actually play a course with him almost 10 years ago now. So man, is time flying. Uh, If you're interested in our thoughts on mini golf courses, you can find all of our mini golf, our penguin mini golf fun over at theputtingpenguin.com. You could also look at Petting Penguin on most of the social media outlets. And while you're out there scrolling, don't forget to follow the podcast mini accounts. Finally, since you're clearly in love with our podcast, make sure you're liking, subscribing, and giving us a great review wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. You know it, you love it. This is the official podcast of the American Mini Golf Alliance, the AMA. You know that both of us have helped form this U.S.-based national competitive mini golf organization that is focused on helping grow the game in all of its many, many forms. Membership for the AMA remains free through 2024. And you can either become a member or renew over at amaminigolf.com. We're encouraging members who are active to renew early this year. We are having members opt in every year just because we want people to raise their hands and say, yep, I want to be engaged in the AMA and I want my points to count towards national ranking. We'll be tracking points of everybody this year in our big ranking spreadsheet for all who play in our events, but only active members will be included in our rankings that we're sharing out in the final tally. So thank you to Walkabout Mini Golf and all of our other sponsors for supporting the AMA and helping make it possible for us to continue to offer free membership in the AMA all season through 2024. So now we'll do a little bit of news before we get to our interview. And we have a couple more AMA tournaments just right around the corner from when you're listening to the episode. We are going to have the third coziest mini golf open in Minnesota on Sunday, February 18th. It's going to be a pro and amateur tournament for the first time and no qualifying period. What we're doing is for the pros is that we are having it be a stroke play two round tournament along with the amateurs to start. But for the pros, the third round, how you play it will depend on how you finish. The top six finishers in the two rounds of stroke play will play another stroke play round to determine that top six finish. Everybody else, their finishing finishing position from seven on down will stay the same after the two rounds. But for the third round, they're going to play an aces only round that everybody from seven on down left in the field will be competing for 50 bucks cash prize. So those top six, they're not going to have a chance. So 
you could come in fourth and get no cash, and you could come in 16th and win the aces only round. So that's an exciting thing we added. The amateurs will be able to win trophies and medals and some prizes, and the pros will have cash on top of the trophies and medals. If you go to a acoupleofputs.com slash cozy open, or you just go to the AMA website and go to the events, you can find more details on it. You can register via Eventbrite, but on there it also has my Venmo. If you just want to pay that way, it'll save you some fees. And then shortly after that, the next weekend, in fact, we are going to have the O Street Winter Classic, and that will be on February 24th at the Manchester Family Golf Center in New Jersey, and that'll be a two-round stroke play tournament that should be really fun. We'll see if they've got any snow this year. Not sure if the <laughs> weather is looking like it. Not yet. We don't. We don't have it in Minnesota either. So we'll see what it'll be an interesting winter classic because it's always going to be a little chilly and it's a fun event. And if you go back in our news on the AMA website, you'll see Aaron's history of it. You'll see some fun photos of people putting through the snow. And then unless something changes, we expect our first virtual scoring event to take place the weekend of February 24th and 25th. That'll be on Walkabout VR using the Discord channel. If you've heard us in the past, we've talked about how it works, but you can go over to our event section, look that up. The courses that will be played will be one easy and one hard, and those will be selected at random. We expect those will probably be selected somewhere the week of the 19th pretty early, because this will be the first week of the season of walkabout and if i'm correct it should include every base course as well as every add-on course that you can buy including around the world in 80 days i don't believe there will be another course out in time and available for the tournaments at that point so that'll be our three events that'll really kick off the year and then we have our putt 18 event in march so that's our big focus right now is uh, pointing you towards that those events. But we also have a couple of newly confirmed events uh, that have been added to the event section. Some of them are going to be pretty familiar and some of them are not. I don't know. Pat, do you want to go through the list or do you want me to? No, I can hit them up real quick. So uh, we've added recently the Red Putter. That's on August 3rd. That is up in Door County, Wisconsin. Uh, on September 21st, uh, this is the same day as the Matterhorn one in Connecticut, but we have the Branson open in Missouri. So probably not a lot of crossover in terms of people traveling between the two of those. Uh, that's part of the show me putters tour that we've talked about here before. I believe that's at greatest adventure over there in that's Branson. Correct. And then we have in October the 11th and 12th. So a little bit of crossover with the masters as well. So you can pick your poison. There will be the show me putters tour championship and they'll be played at a couple different locations in the Branson area. Putt, greatest adventure, coral reef and fun acre. And the Friday event is in Springfield, Missouri in uh, Fun Acre, and then the other three on that Saturday, the three courses will be at Branson. It is a two-day, 16-round tournament, so kudos to the Show Me Tour. They are going to have the longest event for the AMA season, unless something changes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Dolphins only 10, so... 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's even longer than the Masters. That's that weekend that's 12 rounds, too. So if you want a good marathon and are interested in uh, the greater Branson, Springfield, Missouri area, be a good time to check it out. And then we also have, on October 26th, the Putters League Championship down in Georgia. And this one, I actually, Tom, do you have the course? Because I don't have it in front of me. I believe this that it's I believe on. this one. Is this Area yeah, 51? Yeah, this one's at Area 51 again. And they're as we're recording this, which is a little bit in advance, so the results will be out already, but the Putters League Atlanta is doing their event at, the, at that same course for their Frosty Open. And what I saw in a video with Gary Hester was they replaced the turf. And there was a couple places where the turf was rough, a little cut up. It wasn't necessarily in the field of play, but it was a little dicey. So I think that makes me even more intrigued about going down and playing some of those Putter League events down there. And as you know, we've mentioned it early, maybe this year, the end of last year, that we expect to add all of the Southern Swing events that will be taking place, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, and potentially one other location, on top of probably adding something else at Mossy Creek. But we're not going to announce any of that officially because we want to let the tour kind of announce the whole package of what they have forward. But those will all be scoring events where in the South you can get a red, white, and blue tournament knocked out. And we're really excited to have that all part of the season. Yeah. So we're almost coming to a full schedule now. I know we've got a couple other one-off ones that we're just finally nailing down dates and everything. But the other thing we'll have new for 2024, and we'll talk about this in more detail in upcoming episodes and when I get around to doing some social media on it, is we've updated the scoring system for 2024. Um, won't go into detail, but we've made a, a couple adjustments based on some feedback we had in the, the end of the year to give more weight to some things, even out some other things, especially around ties and stuff. So um, we think overall it worked pretty well last year, and these couple tweaks I think will be well-received by our group of putters as we go into this full slate of tournaments this year. And you can putt when ready. We are over, 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 overdue for this guest. We mentioned it earlier in the show, but this is someone who has been deeply, deeply involved in the world of mini golf for a long time. And once again, even though we all speak the same language, I am going to let our guest introduce himself's guest. Introduce yourself. Hello. Squire Richard Gottfried here from the crazy world of mini golf tour. And Richard, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, been playing mini golf, crazy golf, as we call it here in England. Over here in the UK, we call it crazy golf traditionally. I've been playing it since I was a little kid, very competitive against my two brothers and probably even more competitive now with my wife, Emily, um, and we travel around predominantly the UK, but we have had a few trips overseas, some competing in tournaments and others for, for fun um, on our crazy world of mini golf tour. And we've been to, I think, 1,044 courses together over the last 18 years, something like that. So, yeah, 2024 now. So, yeah. 18 years. So we started in 2006. And when we began, there were around 600 courses in the UK, and there are more opening up all the time. So it's becoming a never ending tour to, to visit and play as many as we can. And 
for context, if you want to know more about Richard and Emily and all of their travels, we once again strongly encourage you to listen to our friends podcast over at the 54 Problems. They've had Richard talking about world records and talking about touring around the world with a time machine to play all sorts of interesting mini golf courses. But we brought Richard on this episode because we had a specific purpose that I'd alluded to in past episodes, but it's been a lot of mini golf for both Pat and I over the last couple of years. And we've been seeing a lot of different trends pop up in the world of mini golf. And we know we've played a bunch of courses, but we needed to get a third person who's played a ridiculous amount of courses too, to have a conversation about what is the state of mini golf and what trends are we seeing and where do we see it going? So duh, we got Richard overdue to have him on and that's going to be our conversation. So I don't even know where to kick it off because we could talk about a million things about mini golf. The impetus for this was Last year, I knocked a lot of things off of my list. I played a putt shack course, a chain that's growing, a swingers course, a chain that's growing, a pop stroke course, a chain that's growing, and then a bunch around London and generally in England where all of the chains seem to be coming from. You look at swingers, you look at putt shack, and then you look even within England, there's these new chains popping up and there's a lot of unique takes on the game of mini golf. Richard, if you were to come up with one way of describing like the major trends going in mini golf, what's the first thing that comes to mind to you? The word big, mini golf is big. Mini golf is is big business now. So so again, as I say, in this country, growing up, crazy golf was something you play maybe once a year, twice a year at the seaside. Um, on trips to Blackpool um, or to a seaside holiday camp, holiday park, and kind of like ten-pin bowling. They've they've both been around for years and years and years, and they're a traditional activity and something that anyone can pick up and play. Um, and I think that you know it's not a trend, but that is something that I think is continuing with with mini golf, and and it will continue that it is accessible. I think some of the trends, though, are is sort of probably a deeper segmentation. So to use my marketing background <laughs> on this, you know, be, the mm-hmm. courses rather than being we're for everyone, like a, a traditional seaside crazy golf course, an Arnold Palmer putting course, a great leveler, whether you're four or 94, yeah, you know, you can pick up a putter and, and play it. Whereas there's a, a lot deeper segmentation going on with, as you mentioned, the likes of, of Putt Shack and, and pop stroke we haven't got pop stroke yet in in the uk obviously we have got putt shack and and swingers started here in in london um but they're they're sort of targeting the adult audience so it's it's about over 18s and they're kind of making allowances for for younger people and families but during the day or during the days on Saturdays, then after six o'clock, it becomes more of a nightclub scene. So it's an, it's an alternative now to, to go into the pub, uh, which, you know, again, the traditional pub scene in the UK as well as sort of, it, there is a decline in, in your traditional boozer, your local neighborhood pub. Um, and people are looking for something else to do when they're out and about. And, um, 
Um, it was interesting you mentioned that London being sort of like a bit of an epicenter for for mini golf, and certainly has been a boom there. When when I, when Emily and I worked in London um, for, for years and years, there were very few. In fact, until swingers did their first oh. pop, there there weren't really, to, to my memory, any other permanent courses. And now you've got the like of of, of birdies as well there yeah. opening up amazing at courses um, and putt in the park opening up at, at courses yep. in parks in in and around sort of central London. But it used to be you'd have to travel to Greater London, or it was an old course that was had been there since the 1980s. Um, in a park in Greater London. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot going on in London, but there are also, I mean, another trend, I would say, is, especially in the UK, you know, speaking for them, from the UK perspective, it was traditionally a seaside game and very few courses would be inland. Now you'd find most major cities, so Birmingham, Manchester, Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Cardiff, now they don't just have one course. Many don't just have two courses or venues. We're talking three or four. So you've got the Junkyard Golfs, you've got Roxy, Roxy Ballroom and Roxy Golf, Liverpool as well. Obviously, they've got they've got Gravity Max Centre, which has got a, I think it's a US-themed street golf course. So we're seeing a lot of US-themed <laughs> courses. And we're exporting swingers, the traditional seaside crazy golf courses to you. And then we're getting... York types of courses with New York, New York cabs crashed on the courses and stuff like that. So it's kind of an interesting thing as we start to peel it back, right? Like talking about the cities, because I would say it's very similar here, right? Like you would have never seen New York have, you know, many golf courses. Now we've got swingers. DC was the same way, or maybe there'd be one. And I was trying to think about. There's probably a couple reasons you talk about the bar scene. I mean, I'm sure over the past few years, there's a bit of taking advantage of commercial real estate changes and things. Um, but knowing that, you know, Swingers has been around for a while before some of that stuff. I mean, do you have any thoughts on like what, what now makes that more plausible and in some ways affordable for these companies to be able to do this in these major cities where, you know, we never saw that for the first hundred years of mini golf. Although I guess technically you go back to the origins of mini golf in New York and every rooftop in New York city had a, had a mini golf course. So maybe it's just a bit of a time as a flat circle here. I I would, I was just about to say the, the same thing. And, you know, when we talk about it and remember that remembering the history of it, and I think there is that boom and bust cycle of all business and yes. mini golf, you know, I don't want to never want to be negative about mini golf, but again, it, there was always that fear, wasn't there, that it's growing and it's growing. And, you know, when's this bubble going to burst? So, you know, when we get to the question of what's the future of mini golf, well, will there be a, a burst of the bubble? Will there be a bust, bust time? But like you say, so New York had the, the rooftop courses. When I look back at um, my postcard collection from the Crazy Golf Museum, and you see these black and white postcards of courses. In London and on Selfridge's rooftop, um, you know, and that closed because of the Second World War and the Blitz. But then they reopened a course on the rooftop in 2012 for the summer of sport because we had the Olympic Games here. So, mm. you know, it's one of those things. Nothing is new. So Crazy Golf existed long before we all existed on on this planet, and it will exist long after we're we're gone as well. Um, 
and it's kind of like this cycle of reinvention and swingers mm. have taken you know the, the seaside crazy golf and brought it inside into the city center and i think the I, I think part of it is people growing up and knowing what mini golf is because if you it's it's kind mm. of an international language isn't it even though we we have a different quirky names for it around the around and you know continental europe with band golf and rata mm -hmm. golf and every other mm -hmm. name that, that is called it's it's something that's understood um and it doesn't take a huge investment for people to do it mm -hmm. and, and that's an investment in both equipment and time mm -hmm. um so i think that has been when i was thinking about it, you know people have grown up with it in various different types whether it is the holiday camp or just seeing it or then when people go to study in different cities move away from home mm -hmm. you know they're, they're seeing the, the swingers boom battle bars putt stars uh you know all of these these brands that are that are opening either either franchises or they're actually you know corporate owned and then they are building out their their empire through sometimes secondary towns and cities in in the uk yeah. as well so yeah and i think the thing that i equate a lot of the current boom is that people figured out that it can be profitable when you add in the high profit margin that you get with alcohol sales and people don't want to be as packed in a pub and bar and you know be in a weird awkward environment versus like you go play mini golf on a date or meet up with people it's really social but for people who don't take the game playing it and the competitive side all that seriously it's it's a good laugh and it's really relatively easy to do and even physically not that imposing like i think of other sports that have a really easy way to enter it and don't take a lot of people i think of basketball and i think of what you call football what we call soccer that all you really need is a ball and a net basketball a ball and a hoop you can play it on your own you can shoot at the net if you want and practice that in both you know sports basketball at the hoop and you don't need much equipment you can obviously level up and get fancy shoes and to play the team game, it takes a few more people, but those are a lot more physical. They're physically imposing, whereas mini golf, you don't need any of that gear. Even when you show up, you don't need the shoes. You don't need the ball. They provide the net with the mini golf courses. You know, you just get the putter and you hit the ball and eventually you're going to finish up. And I think adding the alcohol as a profit margin you know, to make the profit realistic for the business has just been smart and maybe even coming out of covid it makes sense that you don't want to be really packed in a small bar with a bunch of people when we all saw during covid especially outdoor courses really were thriving because it's a game where you are naturally safely distanced from your other groups so you go into a place like swingers where there's not that many people you might pay a premium but People were just kind of happy to go out and do things, but that middle ground of getting the space, you get that with some of those more, you know, uh, expensive and kind of exclusive mini golf clubs, but 
you get that same kind of nightlife experience, but maybe dialed down. And if you don't drink, you still get a nightlife experience. Yeah, I think, I think the, um, the the thing with it again, the accessibility part of it. But and, and it, you don't need to be if you if you want to go out and socialize in a pub, there is that peer pressure to to drink. Whereas at a mini golf course, you know whether you're you're drinking or not, it's or whether you're eating or not as well. So the likes, so a lot of these these indoor venues will be as much about the the food options and the street food options and True. And, and other things you're doing there as well. I remember. Um, so ghetto golf, as it was known, it's yep. now known as Golf Fang. Um, so we were in Birmingham a few years ago for a tournament at Star City, um, but stayed in the city centre um, as well. And when we were were having a wander around, and we went to Digbeth, which is where Ghetto Golf is, was based, and and you know Emily actually went in there, and we had a burger in the in the mini golf course, not because we didn't play the course that time. But we just went in there because the burgers were so good that Emily wanted that. So some people, you know, won't even play at some of these mini golf courses. So it's, it's business is getting it right that, you know, traditionally, and and this is something that you know is kind of forgotten sometimes. But you know, mini golf is is and seaside mini golf was built on you know the upsell of an ice cream or a stick of rock. It's it's there. Yeah. When you're whether you're at the start of the course, and I'm sure, say Myrtle Beach as well, at the start of the course, get a bottle of water, and at the end, maybe buy some merchandise as well, and you know, get a hat, get a badge, um, get a mug, um, you know, or buy some postcards there. And and I think that's one of the trends. You know, it's starting to come back. I'm seeing more courses are actually starting to, you know, junkyard golf and, and Roxy, you know. But if you've got a group of people going there, everyone in the group is going to buy a golf visor. They're going to buy something. They're going to buy a piece of merch. It's, you know, something branded on there. Um, Junkyard Golf, when they started, had a a lot of, like, um, spoof and parody T-shirts, lots of sticker campaigns, you know, really cool stuff. And that helped get their, you know, their guerrilla marketing levels of getting the word out about them. Um, Whereas some courses are just purely about the golf, just purely about the mini golf, purely about the game, which is fine as well. But you kind of are, if you've got an opportunity to do those upsells, even if it's a bottle of water or an ice cream or just something, you know, the classic sign that you see, loser buys the ice cream. Brilliant. Um, Yeah, that the part about the drinking too, I think about like, because I've been in the corporate world, you know, almost 25 years now. And for a good chunk of it, it was always you just go to the happy hour and you go to the happy hour and you go to and you do that on repeat. And then now with these options and that concept of having the, the chains, right, like the swingers, like there's multiple cities where if I'm traveling for work and I've got my friends, I'd be like, hey, we can go here. And we did this the first time I went to Swingers in London. We had dinner there. We had some drinks. We played both the courses. We didn't have to go anywhere. Everybody kind of picked their level of engagement with the food, the drink or the mini golf to the extent that they wanted to. And we got a consistent experience. And the next time I happened to be in D.C. with a different group of people from work and they were like, yeah, we heard this was cool. Let's go do that. And it just it that piece of the upsell and having the right stuff there to entice the folks to come and do that. And just the ability to differentiate yourself from sitting in the bar again with the same group of people that you've worked with for 15 years is 
is a really great thing to have right now. And I hope we have it for a while. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I think what's coming up a lot is the chains and they are getting those things right. And I want to dig into the chains, but the one thing that a lot of people from the competitive mini golf world come away with pop stroke is how it plays for adventure golf and all that. For me, that was fine. I didn't think a lot of the holes design-wise were very distinguishable to the public. But what impressed me on top of it, for a clean indoor-outdoor open sports bar in these warmer climates, it's really nice. You're kind of outdoors, but you could also watch football game or whatever. But the food was kind of surprisingly good. The nachos that we ordered, the quantity that they got was really good. And then we ordered burrata and you know, they had like toast and it was just like, this is actually a good meal. I would go to a pop stroke in a random city and trust that more than your typical sports bar chains, like a Chili's or an Applebee's or what have you, where the food is kind of whatever. And then they have, you know, semi cheap drinks there that that has been like a real interesting thing to see with pop stroke and swingers definitely has that. But I think where I wanted to go with that initially is the thing that popped up early on is there's just a ton of different franchises that we didn't see before. There was like a handful in the UK that you would see in the U S we had putt putt, which has kind of been dwindling for a good chunk of time. Monster mini golf had been growing, but that larger franchise has been sold off to some of the owner operators in the last couple of years. But right now, it's just this boom of franchises. We've One of the other ones that I played this year was the Puttery. Played Party Shack over in the UK when we went there. Not only did they have Birdies and Junkyard, but they had Plunk that had a number of locations. They had you know, Putt Shack that had a number of locations. And it seems to be the growth is in volume and this franchise model. And I'm curious how people feel about the franchises and if you really want to get into the world of prognostication, which franchises do you think are going to survive and which are going to kind of fall to the wayside? And you can be specific too, although I don't know if that'll make us a lot of friends, but... Mm. What what a day to be prognosticating, what with it being Groundhog Day. So uh, Tom Loftus, the, the punctus horny Phil of uh Minigolf. That now now everybody knows when we recorded this. It'll be in a little in advance of when it's released, but that is true. It is I forgot that it is Groundhog Day. It's an early he, he he didn't see his shadow, so it is an early spring. So we'll be getting out and playing mini golf early on. So I'd see the the light out there, it's, it's staying lighter later. So that's a, that's always a good thing. Um, I think from, from my point of view, the, um, when I, when I look at this, you know, the business of mini golf and you have to sort of separate yourself from, from it, or I separate myself from it as, you know, me, us three, we are crazy, crazy, crazy mini golfers in that we are so enthusiastic and addicted to it. And we play it whenever we see it, we visit courses, we visit derelict courses, abandoned mm-hmm. courses, haunted courses. We've been, we've seen everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of mini golf. And, and so when you look at it and try and look at it objectively, you know, 
it's, it's one of the things I don't necessarily like when I'm playing myself against Emily, I don't necessarily think we want to turn up and just play. Booking a tee-off time to me mm. is, is not what I'm traditionally used to. Previous 40 years of my life, never had to book to turn up. I just turn mm-hmm. up and play. If the course is busy, I'll wait till it's a bit quieter because I want to have a, a nice experience um, without people rushing behind or or slowing me down in front. But then when I have played courses that does do have a booking time, and I think what you said about swingers, you know, you don't feel rushed, you don't fit because the, they've got the business down right that yeah. it's not pilot high and sell it cheap. They're offering a quality experience. And they're and I think that's going to always be key. Um, no matter what, so even if it's a franchise or corporate-owned brand structure, whatever it is, if if a location doesn't offer high level of service or a high level of playability and all they're interested in is getting people on the course then that will have an impact on whether or not people will will go back they might be lucky that they they're in a a great location and and in you know in the south coast of of england there are a few courses i won't name name them but i know some people will probably be able to pick out the courses but there's one course and it's a bit of a concrete monstrosity very quirky um it's a course i would always recommend people have a go on it if it's quiet but it's it's jam-packed always jam-packed because it's it's there it's right slap bang in the middle of the seaside so people will go to that course rather than one at the other end or the other end they'll go there and play it mm-hmm. even though the playability is not great but but will people go back and play it a second time or a third time or a fourth time no so i think that so when, when i'm looking at this it's sort of the trying to look at things objectively and so when I've looked at the different brands, the different franchises, the different chains, and the courses might be the same or similar in one town as the next one over, but how many people are actually going to be doing their crazy world of mini golf tour, like me and Emily, or a couple of putts tour, or the putting penguin, and going around and reviewing the same course in the or similar course in the in, in different towns and cities. So I think there's I think there's there's always going to be space for high quality, excellent service, playability, replayability, and and people sort of innovating and and tweaking and and upgrading and updating as they go. Because some of the the courses now, because indoor mini golf now was it 10, 12 years? The boom is sort of 10, 12 years now, in the, especially in the UK of and some courses are looking a bit more you know rough around the edges. But if, if courses have got that investment plan that where they're replacing the felt, they're replacing the carpet, and they're replacing it with equivalent or better than they had, mm-hmm. that's a big difference maker as well on on return playability. But but I think there is a a space for again as they here in the UK we've got lots of boom battle bars um, and boom battle. But this is another trend that we can talk about if we if we have time. But boom battle bar mini golf is just one part of that. The same sure. with Roxy, mini golf or crazy golf is just one element in there. They've got the electronic darts. Um, you know, they'll have shuffleboard, beer pong, table tennis, yep. uh, duck pin bowling, all manner of different different games as well. But they, they the the good franchises, the good brands, they they haven't just done an identity kit. So you, if you are in London and Manchester, 
the course you're playing in Manchester is going to be different to the one in, in London. I think that's all, that should be an important factor that while people won't go to maybe all five putt-putt noodles, for example, or all five, all, all four Lost City Adventure Golfs, you want you want to go and have a different experience in each of them, but but no, I think what you said there about pop stroke, that consistency that you know that if you're going to a different city, you know that you'll actually go there because you're you're going to get a high quality service and experience whether you play the golf or not. So that's a that's an interesting take on the business. Yeah, and the 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 same trend is happening in the U.S. I look at party shack and another course that i played down south group therapy that they at group therapy had a electronic twister game they have curling they have outside this oversized beer pong where you use like beach balls and garbage cans and a lot of courses are doing cornhole and bags and you know darts and pool aren't as popular i think as some of those other things to see in bars but then even within that you look at courses like a party shack where within the hole they're incorporating a different game and gameplay you shoot a basketball and that sets up where your tee shot is you play like a a novelty game that you would play at a carnival and how you do in that will determine your tee off position those courses are doing gangbusters or like Ripley's had even borrowed the idea. Maybe it came from Party Shack because it's where I've seen it. But one hole you get like strapped into like a little zip line swing thing and you kind of you're off on your way and you throw the ball at the cup. And I think people who are all about the conventions of putting, those courses drive them absolutely nuts. But the fact of the matter is for variety, the public wants that. I, I, I find the nuances and hearing about the nuances on on the variety of pop stroke courses to be really interesting because it seems like they don't build the same course over and over, which is I think compelling from a really, really down in the weeds competitive putter. But from the perspective of the public, a party shack's just going to be way more appealing. Where I might get to play disc golf and I might get to play foosball or even there's one hole where it's interactive and you throw balls at lights on a wall that again are determining the mini golf part of it. And I don't, I, I don't think of them as bad things, but I think the one thing that we've all seen a lot of lately, and I'm curious to get your opinions on I think of mini golf as being a really great experience when we have so many screens and you can play a million games on your phone and that it's like a real analog experience. But I think what we've all seen is that there's a lot of chains that are trying to integrate the digital. And the one that does it the most prominently, obviously, is Putt Shack, where everything that you do is digitally tracked. Don't need a scorecard, unique point scoring system, things on screens that you interact with and puttery has their own way of doing it. I played putt stars and they have their way of doing it. That's a little unique and there's all sorts of brands. I'm curious to get your thoughts on digital being in mini golf and whether you see it as a 
a trend or more things like that in the future? Uh, I think I'm a traditionalist that I love a, a paper scorecard and a pencil. And yeah. thank you both for sending me them from your travels as well, <laughs> for my own collection and of ephemera and the Crazy Golf Museum. So I think that's something that is, um, you know, I don't think it's in any danger of of going by the wayside because uh, a, a paper scorecard and a pencil and, you know, being away from screens is a good thing. It, it doesn't always, we don't always have to be digital. But the, the thing that, that I found, and, and again, in terms of success factors and, and you know, wanting mini golf to be a successful activity and, and all of these brands to, <clears throat> to do the best they can, I think it's it's making sure that you're integrating. You're not just using technology for the sake of it. So just because, and I have Emily and I have played some courses where um, played an indoor course, um, and we were told, "Oh, we've got an electronic scorecard app. Download it." We're like, "Okay." They didn't have Wi-Fi, so it was underground <laughs> indoors. We eventually managed to get it downloaded. So great we got it and it was a very quite basic app um and it had some comedy elements into it but it just repeated the same joke every three holes um and they weren't even mini golf jokes it was got the standard golf puns and yeah. it was a bit crashy and at the end it flashed up what our scores was and then it disappeared <laughs> and and it's like so at the end of a game the most important thing for me is knowing whether I've beaten Emily or whether I've been <laughs> beaten by Emily and then we can uh, have a rematch or try and better that score next time. And and while we were playing that game, actually, you know, I am a, a record keeper. So I was keeping a score on a piece of paper with a pencil anyway of that, that game. So we know, knew who had won because if we'd relied on the, the technology, we would have, we wouldn't have known where we were. And it, it was a decent course. And it was an okay experience, but it was just that that time at the start when we arrived, and then at the end, the disappointment that we paid, I don't know, eight, ten pound each to have a go on something. And at the end, we walked away and we're like, well, that was fun. It was a bit of an experience, but we've got nothing to show for it. And even if it is just that that scorecard. So so I think mm. if a if a if a course is actually, and again, this is the marketing side of me coming out, that that if you're entering scores on digitally and you're signing up to newsletters or to hear from the course once you play the game the course should send you something thanks for playing here's your score the classic yeah. with um you know laser tag i do enjoy a game of laser tag I haven't played it for a while but the the classic thing there is you used to get the the dot matrix printout and some courses will still do it where you've got your scores newer laser tags will email you the scores so you, or they will email the group leader um and i think you know in terms of competitive socializing um that I've, I've seen in um and it's not mini golf related but it is one of the sister brands i believe to putt shack is is flight club yes and i think flight club is heading to the us or is already there there's one in chicago oh i don't even know about this <laughs> yeah and so flight club I've been along to um, the one in Manchester and the one in Leeds. 
And to me, that's now you know a bit of a go-to. If I'm if if I'm with people that don't want to play me at mini golf or play me and Emily at mini golf, it's a course we've played stacks of times. So we will go to a flight club, and that experience, as you were saying, Tom, when you go in, you got a nice welcome. You're shown to your your oki and your your position there. But what they do fantastically, because everything is tracked and monitored and you get photos taken of you while you play so you don't even have to worry about getting your phone out to take photos and it's all emailed at the end your scores the results the photos gifts little videos all sent to the lead organizer and you remember it and it's got details of how to book your next time there and and so again with with mini golf courses that are i think some courses are testing and, and or playing or, or doing a bit of digital but not going full in and i think those competitive socializing venues that have gone all in on it if you're going to go all in do it like flight club and and really go all in if if not it'll be the other extreme where a crashy app no follow-up you know marketing or sales and, and, a, and a poor experience and, and i've seen a few courses where they've got big screens or the screen's integrated into to it. And you'll see, unfortunately, they will get vandalized or smashed, you know, and that's no mm. for the, the venue. Um, but but sometimes you'll you'll see something and the, just, the screen's just turned off. So, so why is it there? But it should be adding something. Having a screen that's turned off doesn't it doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't it doesn't yeah. add to the gameplay. It takes away because you think, well, I've paid to play this course, and then there's something missing. Uh, so yeah it's an interesting an interesting one but yeah those courses that are getting it right are doing it really really well and others maybe need to up the game somewhat in it yeah and that makes sense i mean it's been an interesting putt check you mentioned the, the flight club because I, I got to play flight club when i was in the the uk as well because we knew they were kind of connected and you know putt check now has a much better right sign up for your email you know they got the preferred club you you know, every time you play, you get points, they send you stuff yeah, on yeah. your birthday, all that sort of stuff. But I, I do remember the first time playing, I don't think they had all that there. And it, I, the thought of like the leaderboard as you played, especially because you could have multiple groups if you were all in the same party. So we had like 10 people mm. and that leaderboard tracked all 10 of us, even though we weren't playing together. Like that was a great experience to see like, okay, how am I doing against my buddies as we go through? But then, yeah, you got to the end and there was no record of it at the yeah and, and now their scoring is obviously not just strokes or everything so it's a little bit different there so it was like oh man yeah i didn't have that thing that i've walked away from every other mini golf course in my entire life yeah. and I, I have boxes and boxes of sitting in my attic and mm -hmm. digitizing that now and getting that is a big part of the well at least for people like us i mean i guess some other people probably don't care at all to see it at the end but i, I think from like the corporate side of it it was great. And I think I know swingers had like the podium that you can stand on and take your picture and yep. like afterwards sending that around your group of people and be like, Hey, you remember like who won this at your event and having it for corporate newsletters like that. That's a, a really nice piece of it, but I wholeheartedly agree. And I guess it, it follows a bit of a trend in mini golf anyways, right? Like anytime the course has kind of gone half in on something, whether it's theming or, whatever it is, it always ends up being a terrible experience. Yeah. And it's funny because I really, really loved everything about the score modification, 
and the whole design and just the premise with putt stars that I had played. But the one bummer was that for whatever reason, I didn't get my scores when it was done. And I look back when I was putting them kind of like, how do we do in these different places? I'm like, I'm pretty sure I beat Robin at the one course, but maybe not the other. But I didn't remember. And they got so many things right or unique where they have modifiers that you can select on certain holes. Like, I'm going to double my points on this hole that I really loved. And ultimately, I think their experience is really good. I think the one where I was really disappointed, and I honestly hope that someone from their company is listening and hopes that they fix it on both ends, is the puttery. It's one of those chains that popped up that I feel like saw swingers, it saw putt shack, and they said, we're going to kind of borrow from both a little bit, and we're going to have a digital scorecard. You put in your score at each hole, and we're going to have like an iPad at each hole, and we're going to theme it out, and we're going to have different themes, and we're going to do nine-hole courses, um, but you're going to score yourself on the iPad, and we're going to have these different themes, and they miss the mark on all of it. We played in a soft opening. They had three courses. This is probably the closest course to our house. We haven't been back since. We played for free. We got free food and drinks. I was unimpressed with all of it. The hospitality seemed to be doing a good job. People were greeting us. The mixed drinks that they made at the courses were really way off. Like I'm not much of a drinker these days, but the drink that they had at the art course was one of the most disgusting drinks visually and taste-wise that I that didn't even finish a sip. And even just like conventional things, they got wrong. And I don't know what it is if they just didn't do enough like experiential stuff or they just looked at everybody else and they said this is what everybody else is doing we're just going to do it and it was it was just a bummer and i i think i think the negative of a lot of these like chains being popular is that there's bad copycats out in the world and people are not innovating that drum hole that's at putt shack that putt shack for all of the fun that i had at them I played two locations and I saw, I think, every hole that they have in their entire stock lob- library for courses in the entire world. They have like about 20 different holes, even though some of the courses will have 36 different, you know, uh, holes at the location. They repeat the same gameplay on them. But yeah, like it that that drum hole has been borrowed by so many people. And to me... I've, I've, the ways that I've seen people try to innovate is just really weird. Like if you've seen videos of the Lucky Putt, it's a product that's sold in the States by some of the um, companies. It's They're like, well, we're going to do something unique and it's going to be a race. And it's all not, not going to be based on strokes. It's from when your ball starts to when it ends. And then it's just like, well, do I even need the putter? I could just run off the tee, drop my ball in the cup, and I got the best score. Like what's the pointer someone was telling me they literally saw people just take their putter and drag the ball into the cup because the strokes didn't matter and I think both that and the puttery are examples of technology like people being really clever with their technology but not realizing that and testing it out enough to see like where it doesn't work and trying to adjust for that and so I don't know Uh, I'm curious if you've had any of those experiences, whether it's on the digital side or any of these franchise things that you're really bumping up against and not liking much? Um, 
Yeah, I, I sort of echo what what Pat, well, what both of you have said. The the Putshack. So we we played um, one of the Putshack courses um, in Rochdale, um, and the, um, the what I found interesting was they've got the the tablets on each of the holes, and that all worked, and it was good. And it was saying, go to the next hole, go to the next hole. Um, and we had the exact same experience of, as you, except we didn't lose the scores because it kind of defeats the object. But I took a photo on my, but it defeats the object. If you're having to get your mobile phone out to take a photo of a screen, which has got reflections and shadows, when that digital score exists, and it must be going into, well, you would assume into a database somewhere to know how many rounds and and what, you know, of course, should be using that big data for insight, shouldn't it? Um, but if it exists, and also to before you play the course, you've got to register your email address. It, again, that at the simplest thing, it's it's a great innovation. But then to have not, I, mean, I had the same experience at Potshack the first time I played there, the um, exact same thing. So you you give your email address. So you're on the the departure boards, the flight check-in, and everything. You all the way round. You're seeing your score. Then at the end, you play the last hole, and it says, "Here's your score, and this is your position." And then it's gone. And yep. if you're not quick enough with your phone to get a quick photo of it, well, what was our score? What were the timings? What was it hole by hole? And and again, maybe that is because we are fans of the stats and the reviews and the blogging about it. But, but, I, think, but I have spoken to other people as well that, you know, are, are less, <laughs> you know, into it as me. And it's, it's kind of like, oh, was that it? You know, it, yeah. it's similar. I suppose it is. I can see why courses are doing it, though, because if you look in the UK when it comes to 10-pin bowling, and I know it might be different in, in the US, but 10-pin bowling in the UK you never get a printout or a scorecard or a score sheet. You, it's literally up on the monitor. Yep. And then if you're quick enough, get a photo. But you don't, unless you, you write down the scores or, or so again, some people don't care, do they? They just want to go and have a bit of fun. That's it. Move on to the next thing. But if you're if you're having it, you should be able to um, to to provide it to 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 the person that that maybe wants to record it. Well, I know here in the U.S. on the Tempin Bowling, at least a lot of places, you have to remember to ask for it before. Like when you go and bring your shoes back, they can print it out for you. But it's huh. not like, a, oh, you're done. Yeah, they can't. There is an ability to get it because I've had some good games just randomly where I'm like, I would like to get that score. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, they because before they like close out the session. Yeah, they could do that for, but it's a thing like you have to know to be able to do that. It's not yeah. a, something that they do automatically or, but you're right. Like with that, that thought about the big data, cause this is a world I live in for my corporate side too. It's just like, yeah, connecting that user experience. And then you have to imagine they're doing something with it. And I know there's, I mean, I guess you're signing out. Yeah. There's a lot of the stuff around the GDRP and things like that in terms of what you're actually keeping and, and stuff like that. But that it does seem, and it seems like, and I think this is where Putchak has started to do with the loyalty clubs and stuff. Like that's the type of stuff that I would jump on if I was the owner of like, well, I know you already and I want you to come back and I want others to come back. So why am I not just sending you everything under the sun? Like every other corporation does. We haven't seen you in a while. Here's buy one, get one free round. You know, we haven't, 
we've seen you played, but maybe you haven't bought any food next time around. And I, I saw a really great interview that Richard did during the pandemic with one of the owners of Putt Stars, where they really talked about how they marketed themselves and used emails to target people that, hey, it's really rainy out. We're going to send a promotion to remind people we're here, or it's really nice out. We're going to send a discount because people may be less apt to to go inside. And maybe this will transition and maybe it won't into a question that I had in my list. One of the trends that seemed fairly present, and we sort of touched on it earlier, uh, is that they seem to be in indoor malls or indoor like commercial spaces. And I'm wondering if part of that trend is that those indoor retail business spaces are really failing and everything else because you can buy anything you want online. You can have it delivered to you in a short period of time. Why are you going to a mall anymore? And I had a question like, can mini golf save indoor malls or is it a bad position for mini golf to be going to indoor malls that might long-term not have a great utility unless they're building out more things that are going to draw people in. So I pose that to the audience, to the, to our, our group. Well, I'm finding again, this is the thing on in the UK and our high streets and uh, retail parks uh, and town centers that this is where the the boom is there is yep. not just big major cities and it's not just large towns it's it's every town now um you know is getting a pretty much every town is getting at least one course or maybe not getting a course they're getting some form of competitive socializing and then when one opens yep. then another venue will open and it might have crazy golf and it might have darts or it might have bowling and, and darts and and it, and it has a mixture. And I think, to be honest with you, it's one of those things that as a trend, I think it's a big positive because it's probably yeah. something that I, th- I think landlords, um, town centres, we have a lot of um, what are called bids, business improvement districts here in the UK for our town centres. So, you know, helping the the existing business owners to bring in more footfall to the town center so in stockport where i live in in south manchester um we've got a a bid they've not done crazy golf yet and hopefully maybe we'll do one in the future (laughs) uh we've got no sit town center crazy golf here in stockport um but they do a huge amount of events and and they've done um sci-fi cons comic cons pop culture comic cons which bring in huge amounts of footfall. Um, and they're some of my favorite events that go on in, in Stockport and they're free. And, you know, while you're in, you're going to go to the shops, you're going to buy something, um, get a drink, might get something to eat as well. Fantastic. And, and I think town centers working together is what and in the businesses, the councils, local authorities, everyone needs to be working together to make these places destinations and having something new, uh, whether it's as an anchor in there or if it's even on the the periphery of it, because malls and shopping centres are all about dwell time, aren't they? So, again, Mm -hmm. if you look at, 
you know, your local malls, your local malls, like the Mall of America and everything like that. I remember when I was studying marketing, um, there's a great book I read called The Call of the Mall. And it's all about, you know, dwell time and giving excellent customer service, cumulative attraction, giving people a chance to stay there. And the Mall of America has a mini golf course, I believe, one of the... Two. Two, two. And Neither and, of them are very good. <laughs> and, and it's about having something to do that isn't just shopping because not everyone yeah is going to have money to shop but might have money to play mini golf or they might be just going there to hang out or you know or wanting a, a whole day there you need to offer offer something that isn't just just shopping so i mean one of the the trends that i've seen a lot more of um is pop-up mini golf so pop-up mini golf Absolutely. so not only not only do you have and and you know we've talked about it before so in hastings you've got the outdoor courses then you've got when you visited um for the world crazy golf championships there was the indoor course as part of a multi-level attraction but in towns and cities as well you'll also have pop-up courses for particular events um and I, here um there's pop-up courses for christmas so Christmas theme course, mm -hmm. but in the summer, there'll be pop-up course as well, or throughout the year. And that brings, again, a different audience or an audience that might only come in once or twice a year. It's another reason for them to, to, to come into the, the town centre. And it means, again, that pop-up might be in a, in a particular unit for, you know, a month, a week, six months. Um, and some of them are using it as test runs as well before actually going full full on and launching a, a permanent a permanent venue as well so it's again using mini golf as a test marketing exercise as well it's, there's so many different angles to it excuse the pun but mini golf yeah. has got so many angles and and ways to be used to to bring about positive change it's it's, it's all fantastic to see isn't it the pop-up is funny because that should have come first of mind to me because that's what my wife and i more or less design and help clients build. They're not necessarily full on year round courses. We've worked with a lot of museums. We're working with an arboretum. We've worked with different food halls and other places that are looking for some additional entertainment to draw people into either more art or to explore nature and to tell a story. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right that there's 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 lots of different ways that it can be used in engaging people. And it, it just seems to be, as we've talked about in this, and especially earlier, in this really big growth period, I don't think any of us want to predict that there's going to be a bubble and it's going to burst. But do we see the game and the amount and volume of courses that are popping up right now, do we see that as sustainable? Because I don't know. I don't know. I don't have that answer, but it's wild to think about how many courses are out in the world now and whether or not all of them can survive. It's a, it's a very interesting question. And again, without knowing the answer, it's going to be very interesting to, to continue monitoring as we've all been doing and, and continue to see what, what's going to happen. Because I think mini golf is here to stay. 
but what it will look like and how many courses. But then if you look at that boom and bust cycle, again, the the roads from my view of, of the US, you know, roadside America and that classic Americana and a lot of those courses that, that have either been left to become abandoned or have been turned into something else completely. Um, and it's it's similar here in, in the UK that some courses that, that we played um, in 2006 and seven and eight and nine, they either no longer exist or they've been completely refurbished, renovated, upgraded, um, changed. Um, and then there are some courses that have been around for sort of 20, 30 years now. And, you know, they are, even though it is a, a mini golf boom period, there are some courses that are being lost because other things are being put in there or mm -hmm. replacing them. And some of that could just be housing, <laughs> you know, is, is, sure. is, is taking the place or apartments at seasides. Um, I, I think it's one of the interesting things about, is it sustainable? Um, because it's sustainable against what other things are competing for people's money and, and sure. people's time exactly. is, is, is the question because other boom periods as well and when there hasn't necessarily been a boom, recessions. And, and again, is mini golf a recession-proof thing? Because these are all other questions, aren't they? That, that it, people are looking not necessarily for things now to, to buy, although you know, I'm a big fan of stuff. And I like tangible things, <laughs> um, never off eBay and never off uh, Amazon buying stuff. But people are looking for, I know um, one of my brothers, Christopher, who is a charter member of our Crazy World of Mini Golf Tour, was there right at the very beginning. Um, but he is far more about experiences than a tangible thing. So he's younger, six years younger than me, but... Um, you know, it's different generations wanting different things. And when he goes to a mini golf course and plays it, if it's got a scorecard, great, and he'll send it to me. If it hasn't, he doesn't complain or, or moan about it. He's just, oh, we, sure. we played the course, here's some photos. It was fun. Um, so there's some, um, I think, when, when a couple of other points we've talked about as well, that, you know, about the, the, some of the courses that are the same or similar in, in different towns, it's the same course in a different town. When I think about it, and it, how sustainable is it? Well, if you look at the Arnold Palmer courses, and while they're not, you know, we haven't still got the 30 or 35 that there were back in the 60s, but there are still some of those courses, and they are, you know, not identical, but there is a, there's a, a library of designs. And then when you look at continental Europe with Swedish Fell, bet on an Eternet or concrete and uh, miniature mm -hmm. golf. When you look at those formats of the game as well, you know, they're sustainable and have been since the, the 50s and 60s um, with very few tweaks or innovations. It is a very traditional game and you are playing, it might be a dog leg left in one town, but in the next town it's a dog leg right or that you reverse some of the, some of the holes. So I think, I think it's, is if the course is well designed in a good location, the service is there, the playability is there, then it will survive. I think there will be those few courses that where they're, they're just in the perfect location. You could put the worst course in the world in the perfect location with loads of footfall. Yeah. And it's 
it's always going to have custom. But I think the the courses that will survive are those that that really put investment into the the course itself. It might again, you want the substance to be there. There are some courses that, that we've played over the years that we wouldn't go back to. We've played it once. And you know, it's the, the classic thing, we we never we don't review the courses, we just visit them. They're there and then let other people make up their minds whether or not they 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 enjoy it or not. But there are courses where you play and just corners have been cut quite literally in some some cases, or <laughs> carpet hasn't been cut in properly <laughs> to it, or the carpet used is not you know, a proper piece of felt from, you know, competition felt in Sweden plays very different to, you know, carpet or felt that's taken off of a roll in a DIY store. It, they might look green and grass-like, but they play very, very differently. And that can impact and affect whether or not, you know, you're going to go back to a course and play it again. Do you have a question to think about the innovation? Because a lot of what we've talked about, today has been the indoor side of things and partially because some of these things you could only really do indoors, right? You can't put all these things open to the weather with electronics and stuff. And so, you know, thinking about, you know, trying to make some futurist type guests, guesses here in terms of the outdoor traditional, the Arnold Palmer's, the Harris courses, like, do we think there's anything there outside of the upsell side that we talked about, whether it's beer, ice cream, that, there might be a room for innovation in terms of gameplay or design or, I mean, I guess theming, you could always theme it as something, but yeah, you know, like you said, Richard, like the, the, the foundations, if you've got a strong foundation, those courses are always going to survive. And we've all seen that, right? The, the courses that put the money into it and the effort outside of, you know, they get bulldozed for apartments because somebody made them an offer they couldn't refuse are still around. Maybe they don't need to innovate but is there something they could be doing? I felt, and maybe because there was a sense of newness to me that's not to a lot of people in continental Europe or even the UK, seeing the city golf design style and how they're building those courses for competition, but also going to add some novelty in it. To me, that felt like the best and smartest and most sustainable model for outdoor because I think the challenge with outdoor that we're really being faced with and a lot of people probably don't want to talk about it or think about it much is just climate change. I mean, I'm sitting in Minnesota when we're recording this, you know, and this goes back a little bit. It's the end of January, early February, and we are at 50 degrees Fahrenheit days. We had all of these outdoor events on the ice that got canceled and we've had days in the summer where it's too hot too much rain we had two tournaments this year that we did for the ama in minnesota where water like was the courses were soaked with water and flooded in some cases and i think you look at all of that with the history of the game the roadside stuff and the sustainability all of those roadside courses the biggest challenge is maintaining that that look and that style is really really difficult and even more expensive these days because it's not as common in the 50s you had that roadside style where people were you know they were doing lots of fabrication with fiberglass and you could find it everywhere and it's before people were 
thinking about even how the fact that they're building stuff with a base of styrofoam is even a good idea. Now you're seeing a little bit less for options. It's more expensive. And to build those types of courses when we're consulting with clients about building stuff with fiberglass or these large obstacles, they start to see the price tag and they're like, whoa, that is wild versus a city golf course. They're using that compacted sand. There's ways where they can reintegrate the sand to kind of build up the courses a little bit and that they're only replacing the turf. That to me for outdoor and sustainability is much better. The, you know, people get frustrated with Harris with all of like the cracks between the bricks. But the fact of the matter is, is building a solid cement concrete wall. That's a lot harder to fix than replacing a brick. And it's those things to a business when you talk about how expensive it is to maintain a course that I think those issues come into play. I talked to a course where they'd spent $80,000 between new brickwork and new turf on that course. They had never redone the brickwork. It was a 40-plus-year-old course, almost 50-year-old course, and they did the brickwork for the first time ever, but it was $50,000. And if you think about how many rounds of mini golf you're selling at a price, that's really difficult. And this and this won't be meant to you know, change the topic, but I think this is also part of my justification and rationale when talking to people about the price of a round of mini golf, when people complain about it, that's why it should be more expensive because people operating these businesses, their expenses are really, really cost prohibitive to do when you're only charging a couple pounds or a couple dollars per round. And yeah, I think I think that's that's the real challenge with outdoor courses. And then when you have these extreme weather shifts, it heightens how much you have to do for repairs and why these indoor courses are probably in some ways a better model for repairing easier, I guess, or having multiple courses where you can have one shut down, multiple nine hole courses and one shut down for repair at all times and you don't really lose the business. But um, yeah, I don't know. Outdoor, how, how are outdoors things looking in the UK? Cause I didn't play much. I didn't play anything modern for outdoor mini golf when I was in the UK at all. It was all older or indoor. Yeah. The, um, so outdoor course in the UK, there, a lot of the outdoor courses that are being built, you know, it's the very, it's the, the various, well, the handful of themes it's, it's a dinosaur course. It's a pirate course. Yeah. Space theme courses generally are indoors. Easier to theme, aren't they? Indoors based. It's a jungle theme. It's a pirate theme. It's a dinosaur theme. Or you might get a course that's got all three of those in one. Um, <laughs> and you know, they. I think outdoors, you've got the the benefit of outdoors is you've got the space. You've got the space where you can create some really good big eighteen hole course or thirty six or fifty four hole venues and and have a, a real variety and, and again we go back to the the harris golf course i i do like playing a harris golf course and it is a challenge when you're playing those bricks because in your as a competitive mini golfer you kind of you and when you're playing with specialist mini golf balls you're playing rebound shots and all of these you mm -hmm. know trick shots and, and trying to be um 
you know, really professional with it. But Harris Golf makes you play City Golf as well. You know, you're playing banking shots. You're playing around the bin lid of the hole. You're not, you're, you're playing to the hole. You're not playing for a rebound because you're going to get an irregular bounce off of a brick yep. rather than a, a flat a flat border. But but the outdoor course is here. Exactly like you said, it, you know, weather is an issue. The traditional thing of, you know, how many days can you open as an outdoor course? You know, yep. if you've got 180 earning days per year as an outdoor course, you could open three, six, five outdoors, but then there are some days where you've got takings are going to be close to zero and your overheads are going to be, you know, is it is it sustainable to do that? Yep. Um, but last summer here was a washout um, for, for any activity, pretty much outdoors. It was like ev pretty much every weekend it decided to rain. This is where we are in, you know, it always rains in Manchester and Greater Manchester <laughs> anyway, but but it just seemed to be the, the worst summer we'd experienced. But then the year before we'd had a heat wave and, you know, in Stockport, year before it was as it was as hot as the hottest day i experienced in las vegas where my trainers were melting when i was walking along the sidewalk <laughs> and that's happening in stockport so that's the the extremes but then also you know you've got harsh winters as well and so an, an outdoor course is not going to be able to be be open but then on the flip side to it especially here in the uk um you know energy prices and to, you know, a lot of these courses, so, you know, my concern would be, and, and hopefully it doesn't impact courses as, as much, but you know, the courses that are obviously using a lot of heat and light um, to, to be run, they're, they're going to have larger bills than, than a course that is indoors but doesn't have additional bells and whistles on it. Mm. Um, but the benefit is, though, you are able to open 365, and the time that you can open... Um, there's a new course opening up in the Midlands I've seen and I've already seen their opening times and you know 10 every day 10 till 8 and then weekends 10 till 10 so you've got a lot better earning opportunity indoors than you have outdoors however one of the innovations that I'm seeing and it's it's really nice to see and Emily when she's been in the US has seen it and um before and and also in the um when she's been in Asia, she's she's seen it more. And I, you know, black light mini golf courses and glow in the dark courses have been a thing for quite some time. But but there are a few courses in the UK that are now starting to to innovate by using lighting, um, and the, you know the the rope lighting effects and Tradiga Park, yeah, uh, yep. mini golf, the crazy golf course there. I'm sure you've probably seen them on Facebook with their yep. Halloween events and their winter competitions and. And I remember we we played our own little Welsh mini golf tournaments on that course um, before it was refurbished. And it, you know, it's a, a, the base of the course is solid, concrete, felt, nice borders. But um, but the uh, since it was taken over, I think last year, um, it's had upgrades in terms of the felt, paint, and also then on the the, the, using the the rope lighting and other theming around it is, is if that's something for a course that isn't new um for an existing course something that yeah there's an investment there's a cost involved there but that can really extend your your reach and your 
you know, a reason to return. And, you know, you can play after five o'clock in winter. You can play into the evening. <laughs> and it, it actually adds something to it. You know, I an outdoor course with lights up is a different and again a different wrinkle to the game isn't it it's, you, you know we don't play many tournaments under floodlights that that's it's quite nice you know i remember practicing for the world crazy golf championships in hastings and when you're playing in the evening under floodlights it has a different feel and it's a di- bit of a different experience and you know it's different playing conditions when it's getting colder as well how the ball reacts on the the surface and everything how the felt plays first thing in the morning compared to late at night so yeah, I think the the lighting and 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 you know additional effects and stuff that you can put on a, an outdoor course, an existing course. I think there's a great opportunity there for for courses to go for it. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point about. I mean, a lot of our courses are lit for night, and they're especially in the tourist areas are around. But that point about the tournaments, I mean, one of my favorite tournaments is the Dolphin tournament we play, where we play eight rounds, three in the morning, three in the afternoon. The final two are at night, and you're in this oak grove with the floodlights, and it's a really cool experience. But that's a good point about like the the thematic lighting in terms of innovation in the outdoor courses, because we've seen that. You know, especially with the the holidays like Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving, like that's really been an uptick of, you know, you spend X amount of money on decorations that you can reuse year after year and you trot out. But all of a sudden you've turned this course into something different for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, similarly, we've seen taking that aspect of the, the, um, the black light, you know, maybe not so much. I haven't seen many courses do the full rope lighting yet, but certainly we've seen the glow golf tournaments come up, right? Like turn off all the lights. Yep. You put a couple glow sticks in the bottom of a cup, you get some of the glow balls, and now you've got yep. um, a completely different experience. I remember playing my first version of that, like early 2010s, maybe even been before that. It was this course like in the middle of the nowhere in Massachusetts. So when you turn the lights off, you could see nothing. I have never, pl- I never played the course before. I showed up, so I had no idea what it was. And then we went back the next day in the daytime. We were like, oh, that's what all these holes look like with lights on. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that's probably and, an area where... people like it. Yeah, and that's probably the area where you can do innovation the easiest on an outdoor course like that, where you're not building something permanent that you have to maintain. You can just kind of trot it out when you need to, to do something different on those shoulder seasons. And and competitive players will bump up against a lot of this stuff. They don't like the scoring systems that are not conventional or even holes where there's minus scores or they don't like playing with a glow golf ball because they play like crap. Like if you've played with one, there's like it's just the sound of the putter hitting the ball sounds funky and they don't play all that well, but the public doesn't care. They're they're happy to play the game in a variety of different ways and they don't notice the difference. Most people don't care when they show up to a putt shack that they're using like a rubber face putter and maybe like a ball that they're not used to, but competitive players will, I had a competitive player in the last week that had played a putt shack and they're like, yeah, it was really weird playing with a rubber face putter and you don't really have a choice in those situations. But as we know, that's not your audience. If you're opening up a course and all you're doing is pitching yourself to the competitive folks, you're you're done. Like most people, it's just it it's it's just 
it's just for fun. And we are even seeing, and we've talked about it, that the big chain that's going in the United States and growing, Popstroke, they've already dropped their tour after one year in part because they the courses really didn't see a huge value in running these tournaments. And when you look at how busy those courses are on a weekend, it is just packed full of people. And you see these people who are trying to practice being like, whoo. And though, you know, I think some will complain like, oh, it's too busy, but most of the smart players and are just excited that there's that many people playing. And that, I I think that's the, you know, that's kind of the, the the rub is that some of these places would be hard to do competitive events at because they're just too popular to have like downtimes. But I think if I'm looking for, you know, somewhere where things can go is I would love for there to be more, and this may be a selfish because of how the AMA, the American Mini Golf Alliance has kind of positioned ourselves. I would love to see more competitive casual events at these places. I would love putt stars and putt shack and swingers and all of these places actually run tournament series. I think it would be great for the larger competitive game. And that's where I would love to see the game go from that end. Uh, And as far as innovation goes, I don't know, but I'm going to throw that at you because I know Pat's got to wrap up here in a little bit because we're we're doing marathon recordings on days off of work to get our friends in from overseas so i guess what are where are directions that both of you'd like to see the game go and what innovations do you hope for or potentially see in terms of i think we've talked a lot about the 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 general game and the, the you know general public um and it's interesting what you were saying there about how you'd like to see things going with the ama and i've some of the the events that I've enjoyed the most when I played tournament mini golf. So I was on the BMGA tour for for several years, and but m- most of those tournaments were on a Sunday, and they teed off nine o'clock in the morning. Um, there was never any variety really, um, but I used to like the um, we used to do like pro ams on like a Saturday afternoon as part of the practice or Saturday evening. And some of the side tournaments we did before the World Crazies. Um, and also any mini golf leagues that I've ever played in have been on Monday nights. You know, a Monday night mini golf league where you turn up and, yeah, I'm a pro player and I'm playing against anyone. Could be somebody who's a, you know, a really good regular golfer or somebody who's really good at other target sports and other people that have never picked up a putter before. So, so that's a real tester isn't it for for whether or not you're to show you how good you are maybe even to yourself um or or in a in a competitive field but i always think that and i think it goes back to the innovations i just think of tradiga park and what they've been doing that their tournaments that like the the welsh mini golf um, club and and other competitive mini golfers here in the uk you know going to that course because they're doing a tournament in the evening on a weekday um so you've got to as you, as you said, if you go to pop stroke and if it, if the course is packed every day of the week and there's no place for the competitive mini golfers to be, well, run a run a tournament 
casual players as well and the, the regular mini golfers. And I've I've played some competitions where the course has been open to the public as well at the same time, or the course is open to the public during our last round, which is not ideal. But I think part of that does come down to your to your mindset that, that mini golf is still a minority sport. Hopefully it's going to get bigger and, and everything and, and it, it gets lots of eyes on it and it does get coverage and, and everything. But I think that's part of the the fun side of mini golf, that we are a minority sport and we shouldn't forget that because that quirkiness does lends, lead us to some really good media coverage, doesn't it? That, that we're not, that we are a challenger, a challenger type sport, that we are trying to get into the Olympics, but we know what it's going to take to get us there um so those innovations that around sort of tournament play the things that would get me back playing more often you know where where my head's at and where me and emily are in our lives and all of the traveling and playing mini golf that we've done it's it's playing mini golf competitively but at different times of the day or different days of the week and you know not everyone wants to get up at eight you know practice on a course for three four days in advance and then play between 8 a.m. and midday and then that's it you're done it's as much about the social side I think for me but mm -hmm. also those turn up and play tournaments are good and when we've we used to play a few of those sort of independently of the the national tour here and sometimes if you just or, or just random ball tournaments or just golf ball only tournaments or single ball only tournaments those sort of things can bit bring people in and sort of decrease the gap between somebody who's a, a, a novice and somebody who has been on a course and practicing seven hours a day for seven days. Well, are you going to be that person? Probably not. Are you going to have fun doing it? Probably not either because somebody else has, has actually, you know, fine, taken the time and effort. And I do practice ahead of tournaments, but, but I wouldn't mind and I don't mind if a tournament is kind of a blind open either because that's its mm -hmm. own different challenge. So I think yeah. competitive mini golfers need to look at, again, use the word angle again, look at all the angles. Just because you play tournaments one way for the last 10 or 15 or 20 years or maybe your entire life, and you kind of look at, at the innovations in Sweden, really, and, and like you say, City Golf and the City Golf Tour and, and the fact that, you know, Sweden is the oldest mini golf federation, but they're not forcing everyone... In Sweden to play mini golf one way there are fun courses there are competitive socializing courses there's city golf courses you can play on national tours you can play on Etinet and bet on and felt however you want to play as long as you're playing mini golf and then find the right route and path for you rather than forcing every mini golfer to play competitions in a set standard I think that's that's the potential to for people to stop playing when you force them down a particular route. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Swedes once again, uh, and just a quick note, cause I want to give Pat a chance to comment. The one thing that I do like about pop stroke that even though their national tour seems to be having its hiccups, their local leagues are happening on weekday nights and after work. And I think, they're going to see different paths forward that I think could be really interesting if they go down that path. I know even for us with the AMA, we've, I don't think we have a single tournament 
that isn't on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and that's super intentional. You're just gonna only you're gonna get a particular crowd of people that can do a Sunday Monday tournament and take off full weekends and work to do that, and that's not gonna grow the game. But uh, Pat, yeah, I mean, I think I'd echo the the league concept and filling those during the week and. And also trying to keep those casual, right? Because even the league, sometimes we see try to get too towards that competitive end. And then it's just the same people who play the tournament show up at the league. And that's what not what you want. And like at Matterhorn, we've tried to keep them fairly separate. And that the Tuesday leagues are, they're actually, if you played the league, you're actually paying less money to play two rounds than if you paid the base price to play two rounds there for a night. So like we've gotten some people kind of off the street. And I know when I go there, as much as it is practice for me, like you said, Richard, it's a different mindset. Like I'm, I, I intentionally am playing with different people. We try to, you know, match up. I'm not as serious when I play. And I think from a competitive standpoint, we need to help our local courses do that because they, they don't know that. And we don't, I don't want to go there and be like, yeah, we've got to form this ultra competitive league because I want to be ultra competitive. I need to go to the course and say, I want to form a league because I want to grow the base. And if you really think about it, especially if these courses do have things like access to alcohol or places that you can hang out afterwards, there's no difference between doing a league like that and a bowling league. And if you go like Monday night, we went to, there's a course by us that's indoors at a bowling alley. They've converted a handful of them to basically a Harris course. So when I went in there, the entire side of the bowling is all league play. Me and Dave and Mandy were the only people on the mini golf course for two hours. And so like, how do you right size that? Because there's no reason you couldn't run a league there on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, Wednesday night. There's a bar there. There's, and you'd be still completely separate from the, I don't know, 150 people who are bowling. And so I, I think there's a huge growth there. I mean, I think the other thing I would just like to see, just from somebody who does play a lot of different courses, I think there's still, you know, untapped themes that are out there. And it's been interesting to see some of these. Now, it tends to happen with the pop ups and stuff that have, Maybe it's a sciencey theme, but you know we've seen there's the museums. Some of the museums, there's science museums who have more permanent structures, and having a theme like that kind of sets you aside from the the normal, you know, pirates and, and dinosaurs and in jungle. Although I was thinking about like how come I have not seen a pirate dinosaur course? Like I mean, come on, <laughs> di- like dinosaurs on pirate boats? Why haven't we seen them? put together like that maybe that's our next move um in that, the tropics yeah in the tropics right undersea like, <laughs> while also in outer space we'll, yeah why not let's just put them all together and then we can <laughs> laugh at it when we go to review the course where we've decided that the course just took every theme under the sun and put it down there but i mean it, it would be something you know i think about you know putt pub that we visited in texas right like they yes. were very creative with how they did their their holes and the themes and sports and tie that. And that's that type of stuff is what I really want to look for in the future is people not just building as much as I love playing pirate coves. I don't need to play another pirate cove. I need to play another dinosaur pirate cove. (laughs) Yeah. Or space, space pirates, space pirates. Can I get a firefly themed, you know, 
<laughs> I guess that's more space western than space pirates. Maybe it's a see again. Mold, but we got to mold all these things together. I played an, an American themed course um, in somewhere in Kent. Um, I'll send you the link to it. American themed, <laughs> a big hat, and I think there was a big cowboy hat on one of the holes, and one of the holes I think was in the shape of Texas. But apart from that, I can't remember much else. It might have been a hot dog hole on one of them. All these classic American themed things. But you're right though. I think that's where the the space is. I found out today about um, a course in Bedford, an outdoor course. They're replacing a, a grass putting green that I used to play quite regularly. It's being replaced by a 12 hole course that is local history themed. Mm. So nice. You know that's something that is unique to a particular area that's going to be a differentiator and i've played a few courses that have got that local history and they they're using the educational yes. side of things that's nice because it's a fairly light touch way to introduce theming to to you know a putting course um artificial or grass that that actually lends itself to to a local area rather than again putting in some animatronic dinosaurs next to the genteel banks of a river in a <laughs> in a quaint english town it, it just doesn't doesn't go together whereas in hastings of course smugglers it you know you will have yeah, you know, yeah. it's got a rich pirate heritage um so making sure a theme matches to to the the area you're in um, or if you're in one of these indoor courses indoor venues in a mall shopping center i mean you're only limited by your own imagination. And that's the thing that Absolutely. excites me and Emily about you know, still going out and playing courses and visiting courses. We want to be intrigued and shocked and inspired. And 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 again, some courses you're seeing are like shared with escape room centers. So again, mm. more courses could potentially add more escape room elements into it as well. You know, that could be a could be a thing that that you see more of because that's there's some crossover being done there but but not a huge amount as yet so what the future holds will just be very interesting to see i think i like that and yeah i think what you touched on we also see with our clients too is broadly a sense of place that the course is not just the same thing over and over i don't think the chains are going to do that but i think the the individual courses can do that and really connect with people in a number of ways, whether it's locals who it's fun to see their town in miniature and their history in miniature or people traveling there that see, Oh, I didn't know this about a city. And that really works. I think you can do a lot of similar gameplay things and just add in those elements. And it's, it, it gives it a different context and it makes the game more interesting. But uh, yeah, this is a conversation that, we are all three very interested in and I'm certain we are going to continue both amongst ourselves as well as share with you all who are interested in this game as it as it grows and changes we'll we'll keep you updated and we will have a uh, Richard back on for this conversation and others in the future but for now Richard thank you for joining us and for finally uh being a guest on our show my pleasure. Thank you very much. 
So now it's time to thank our sponsor, Walkabout Mini Golf, which of course you guys all know at this point is our favorite VR game. And it's been coming out with a ton of courses lately. Tom just talked about how many are open to the league, including the newest one that they released, which was Around the World in 80 Days that closes out their Jules Verne trilogy. I was actually just playing that a couple days ago. Really enjoy that one in the yes. Eiffel Tower, some pretty interesting hole designs and stuff. And I feel like it's on one of those nice ones that's got a little bit of difficulty, but the hard course isn't too, too hard at the end of the day. Um, Speak which, for yourself. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I've definitely had some of the harder ones on there, but I was thinking about, you know, after talking with Richard here in this interview of like all the different things we want to see in themes. Well, the cool thing is, is that walkabout can do all of that and has got yes. so many different themes out there. And there's probably something either for you or will be for you in the near future. And speaking about newest things that they have, um, just before we recorded this, they have released their beta version of a mobile version for the iOS. And that's going to allow folks without the VR headset to get a glimpse of what some of these courses are, play on them, and actually have cross-functional. So you can play with people who are in VR at the same time, if I understand all their notes correctly. Um, of course, I'm an Android user, so I'm going to encourage everybody to use the <laughs> iOS version so that they have some reason to build the Android one in the future. And honestly, I can't wait to see what other cool technology they're going to come out with, You know, whether it's courses and course design, and I'm sure there's other things. I would have to imagine at some point we're going to get some sort of mixed reality walkabout too as we get down mm. to things which, um, you know, just go support them, follow along, go check out their social media. If nothing else, they've got some really fun stuff every time they release a course and it's brings a little bit of joy into our day. Yeah. And one other quick sponsor that we want to give a quick shout out to is Pingvin Mini Golf. They supply all sorts of competitive and novelty mini golf stuff. They're based in Germany and you can find them online. Uh, Pingvin, P-I-N-G-V-I-N dot D-E, I believe. Just go look them up online. They offer shipping to the U.S. I know Pat has been working with Dave Veda on the tournament down in Brno in the Czech Republic that's coming up and he's ordered some stuff from there. I've ordered stuff for my continuing mini golf ball collection that just keeps growing as well as just the rubber for the face of my putter and it's been great pingvin supplied us with a handful of mini golf balls that we'll be giving out throughout the 2024 season at different tournaments so stay tuned check them out and if you're into exploring the game a little bit deeper uh that's one way to do it and we'll have some episodes that will tell you a little bit more about that but we just recorded a lot of interviews. It's going to seem like nothing to you, but we've been going at it. So I'm just going to close it up with big thoughts and mini golf. In our conversation with Richard and generally on the podcast, we've talked a lot about a lot of large franchises and new chains coming up in the world of mini golf. While we love the new investments and the creative growth, we do want to make sure that people support their family-owned and operated courses. We probably said this many times on various pods, but we bring it up because we talk with course owners regularly and hear about the challenges of running these businesses and know that it is very much a passion project and a labor of love. Please support these people who love the game 
and want to provide these attractions for you and their communities as much as you can. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, but when ready.